Well, this is the season uh, of graduations. In fact, did you know there were 28 convocation ceremonies recently that happened on campus here at UBC? 28, that poor, that poor band who had to play those numbers over and over and over again. I, I know this because I got to attend one of those ceremonies because my son Josh graduated uh, his bachelor's degree. And then on Friday, I attended another uh, graduation ceremony. This one a little different. It was my daughter Grace, who's 13. She graduated from grade 7 and is going to be going into high school. And uh, a huge congratulations. I know the Yakels were at a, a ceremony. Maybe some of you graduated recently. Uh, congratulations to you. I've been to a lot of graduation ceremonies, and what I've noticed is that there is a certain vibe, a certain tone. There are certain words that are repeated over and over and over. Words like dreams, adventures that await, outlook, open doors. I heard the word possibility and potential and opportunities. There's something about those ceremonies that are future-oriented. They're forward-looking. I have this picture in my office of my daughter Grace when she was at preschool graduation. You know they have preschool graduations? Um, and every child had to put together what they wanted to be when they grew up. And here's a picture of Grace. Uh, when she was five years old, she wanted to be a movie maker. So look out, Steven Spielberg. Here's my retirement ticket right here, um, is Grace. And there's, you know, kids would hold up signs, police officer, astronaut, YouTuber. You know, all of the uh, things that kids look forward to. There's something that is instilled about looking forward with, with hope toward the future. Maybe that's the word for it. The word that summarizes the ethos of these ceremonies, it's the word hope. If there was ever something that we needed in our city, in our world, it's hope. If there was ever something that we needed personally in our lives, I think it's hope. Someone said that hope is the oxygen of the soul. You need food, you need water, you need shelter, you need belonging. Of course, all of those are essential things. But the human spirit needs hope. Lewis Smeads, who is a, an author, said, you know, um, hope to the soul is, is like oxygen to our lungs. And if you're alive but you have no hope, you're kind of dead inside. Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, one of the saddest things that he wrote about in his, his brave and courageous experience was being in those concentration camps. And amidst the horrific conditions, the saddest moment for him was when people gave up hope. He said that the beatings and the interrogations and all of the pain that followed didn't affect them because they had already died inside. We need hope, especially in the midst of difficulty. The late Presbyterian pastor Tim Keller put it this way, you can't get through life without suffering, and you can't get through suffering 
without hope. But where do we find hope? Is hope just something that we sort of conjure up within ourselves, that we, if we think positively, if we're optimistic, that will be enough? Where, where do we find a hope that is bigger than our suffering? Hope that is resilient and is larger than the desolate things that we go through. Well, this morning, we're going to explore this question of where do we, where do we find hope? And as Anth just mentioned, we're concluding our series today on the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at different images of the Holy Spirit in the Scripture to try to glean what, what is this telling us about the nature of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's work in our lives. And this morning, we're going to look at a story about how the Spirit of God breathes life and hope into our souls, brings us hope in the midst of hopeless circumstances. Our passage of Scripture is found in Ezekiel chapter 37, and let me give you a little warning. This is a weird story. If you've ever read the Bible, you know there's weird stories in the Bible, right? You read them and you think, this is bizarre. This is one of those. Here Hear God's word from Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. So this story begins with a description first of a desolate valley. A desolate valley. Sometimes when I picture a valley, I'm thinking of something beautiful. Maybe this summer you'll get to explore some beautiful valleys in BC. I picture green grass and maybe wildflowers. Maybe a valley that there are children playing in. Maybe there are people having a picnic. There's music playing. There's, there's a symbol of beauty. This is a very different valley, a, a disturbing scene. It's a valley of dry bones. It's a valley of death. It's a valley of desolation. And this valley depicts Ezekiel and Israel's actual context, their actual experience of what they're living in. So in 587, Ezekiel and his friends and his, um, his peers were, the, the nation of Israel was conquered by Babylon and they were exiled to Babylon. And so here they are in a faraway land, far from all of the things that are meaningful and hold out hope for them, and they get word that their beloved city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple, the temple of God where they worshipped has been leveled. Now, it's hard for us to put ourselves in that place, but imagine that, I don't know, imagine that, that Canada is conquered, that we are deported to some other nation, and then you get word of, you see pictures of Vancouver, and Stanley Park has been set on fire. 
and Canada Place has been destroyed, and the, the beachfronts and the beauty and all of the places that you love, your home has been destroyed and leveled. One commentator says, for Ezekiel and the Israelites, they are shattered and shell-shocked. They have no home, they have no identity, no future, and nothing to live for. The valley of dry bones is a vision that Ezekiel sees that matches their lived experience of hopelessness, utter hopelessness. And before we move on to the story, we need to stop and explore what our own desolate valleys might look like in our lives. What are our own places of hopelessness? You may have never had a vision of a valley of dry bones, but perhaps you've experienced depression or divorce or disease or the death of someone very close to you, and it has left you winded. You, you know that feeling when you're playing sports and you get winded and you just gasp for air and you can't seem to... You can't seem to get that air. Maybe you've never walked ankle deep through dry bones, literally. But maybe you've experienced feelings of being overwhelmed. A pressure to achieve. To prove yourself. To make something of your life. To produce something. And maybe every once in a while you hear that ugly voice of shame that says, you don't have what it takes. You, you're not smart enough. You're not attractive enough. You're not thin enough. You're not whatever enough. You're not hardworking enough. Maybe you've never literally seen dry bones, but you've experienced dryness in your own spiritual and emotional life. You are numb. The things that used to energize you and give you, it be that spark, it's just no longer there. You wonder what your purpose is. Or maybe you've experienced failure. Academically, professionally, in your career. And it is so deflating to you Here's, here's some phrases that maybe you've caught yourself thinking or saying. This is what hopelessness sounds like. My situation will never get better. I don't have a future. I don't think anyone can even help me. I may never be happy again. Have you ever thought those things or heard yourself saying those things? What is the, the desolate valley in your own life that you are experiencing now? Now, before we continue with the rest of this story, let me just stop for, I think, an important aside, caveat. Because if you're in that place, you need to know that you're not alone. And I want to encourage you, no, I want to urge you to talk to someone. That could be a counselor, it could be Anthony or Michelle, it could be a trusted friend, 
someone to know that you are in that place that's difficult, but you are not alone there. Let me, let me urge you to do that today, to shoot a text or an email or to set that up so that you can be reminded of, of that important thing. Well, this part of the story ends with a question, can these bones live? In other words, is there, is there any hope? I sometimes think of myself as Ezekiel standing there and the Lord says, can these bones live? And I want to say, are you serious? How can dry bones live? It's, it's impossible. We can look at situations and say there is no, humanly speaking, there is no hope whatsoever. But Ezekiel answers, Lord, only you know. And our story doesn't end with a desolate valley. It continues, second, to divine breath. Hear the rest of this story as we pick it up in verse 4. Then he said to me, the Lord said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And these bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. So, the story doesn't end with dry bones. Ezekiel is invited to speak to the bones, as ridiculous as that sounds. As crazy as that sounds, the Lord says to Ezekiel, you have a part to play in the restoration of hope. Speak words of faith and watch what happens. Did you know that we have a part to play in the restoration of hope? The Lord didn't tell Ezekiel, why don't you just sit on a couch over here and watch what I can do. He actually involves Ezekiel in speaking words right into that desolate valley, right into that impossible situation. And a miracle begins to happen. These bones start to come together. There's a, there's a rattling sound and ligaments and tendons and skin. But there's a problem. As miraculous as that is, the scripture says, but there was no breath in them. Without the breath of the Spirit, they are not living beings. And here we hear echoes of the creation account in Genesis when God creates human beings, a physical body, and then what does he do? He breathes life into them. And they become alive. You know, the word Holy, this, the word Spirit in Hebrew is the word Ruach. And it, it literally means wind, spirit, breath. 
The Holy Spirit is the breath of God that comes and brings life into us, that makes us come alive. Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. And so let's find out what happens in the rest of this story. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. How in the world do we understand this story? Well, Ezekiel and the Lord talk through what is the meaning of dry bones that have somehow come to life and the Spirit breathes into them. So here, here's the interpretation of this vision. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. So I know that that's, that's a long scripture, um, but... I wanted the scripture to kind of do the heavy lifting today to tell us what is the meaning of this is that God is looking to a people who are, have no future and no hope and no home and no prospects and no outlook and no possibilities and no hope whatsoever. And he says, watch what I am going to do by my spirit. And he breathes life into them and gives them promises. Now, I want you to remember two numbers. I'm a kind of a numbers guy. I used to be a math teacher. Anybody, any math students here? Anybody love math? Okay, I'm the only one. That's okay. Uh, thank you to both of you who put up your hands there. Uh, we're, the, there's two numbers that I want to draw your attention to. It's the number 10 and the number 3. The number 10 is because 10 times in this passage, we find out what the source of our hope is. Ten times. Listen to these. I will make breath enter you. I will attach tendons. Do you hear these promises? I will make flesh come upon you. I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. I will open your graves. I will bring you up from your graves. I will bring you back to your land. I will put my spirit on you. I will settle you in your own home. Ten times the Lord promises something that he will do by his spirit. What, what is our source of hope? Is it, is it our own abilities, our own resiliency, our own perseverance? We can do this. We can stick to it. That, that, that has its place. But I think 
We are people of hope because of the nature and the character of who God is. His promise to you that in the most desperate and desolate valley, that the Spirit of God breathes life and hope and says, watch what I will do. This is my promise. Bank on it. You can trust me. I am the one who will do this. Ten times the Spirit's action in the middle of our desolation promises hope and a future. And so it's the number ten and the number three. Three, three times the text says, and you will live. And you will live. And you will live. Ten and three are numbers, are, are sacred numbers in this text because they're numbers of hope. I sometimes am a slow learner. I need to be told things over and over and over again. And there are some days that I need to hear God's promises, not once, not twice. I need to hear them ten times. Some days I need to hear them ten times an hour to be reminded of the bigger reality of who God is. Because a situation is so difficult, that's all I see And ten times the Lord is saying, watch what I will do. Trust me. And the result is you will live. You know, sometimes numbers can cause us fear and anxiety. Maybe you hear on the news about the number of overdose deaths in our city. Maybe you hear about inflation numbers and economic numbers. And they're not not particularly promising right now. Or maybe you look at your bank account numbers, and that gets you really depressed. Maybe you look at your student debt numbers. Boy, talk about a desolate valley. Talk about desolate numbers. Maybe maybe you look at your grades, and they're not what you wanted them to be. And it's discouraging and defeating. Numbers, Numbers can bring fear, and yet numbers in Ezekiel 37, remind us of the hope. Ten times the Lord says, I will do this for you. Ten times the Lord says, I will bring life and wholeness and return you and result in a homecoming. So friends, remember this week when you experience fear and you're tempted to give in to it, remember 10 and 3. And remember the next time that you feel overwhelmed with a burden, a pressure to prove yourself. Remember 10 and 3. The Lord's promise to you of what he will do by his spirit. Friends, remember that we are people of hope. Because we worship the God-man Jesus Christ who was in the tomb for three days. You want to talk about a hopeless situation? He was in the tomb for three days, and there was no hope. And yet, we worship the one, this is our story, we worship the one who gloriously resurrected on that third day. In the middle of a hopeless situation, the Spirit raised Jesus And the scripture says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead 
now lives in you. What might be a, a desolate valley that you would say, Holy Spirit, come and, and breathe? Breathe life and hope into this. Because I, I don't know if these bones can live. I don't know if this situation is going to get any better. It sure doesn't feel like it. I, I invite you, Spirit, come and breathe life. This week, I received a text from a dear friend um, who asked if we could grab a coffee. And this friend uh, recently lost his 18-year-old son. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you say to your friend in that situation. There's, there's no words. It's unspeakable, the grief and the loss. And so we just spent time together, and I listened, and he talked. And I was reflecting on his story and his experience. I, I, I can hardly imagine a more desolate valley to be walking through. And of course, he's deep into grief, and he's asking a lot of questions about the future. He said things like, you know, I just loved being a dad. I, I don't know what this means to me going forward. And I thought, you know, there's, a, there's a, a short view of life. There's a short view of pain. There's a view that says, my current reality is all that I see, and there is nothing beyond it. But as people of hope, and he is a person of hope, he is a follower of Christ, we have a long view of pain and of death and of dry bones. We know that in the present reality, things are not pleasant and not fun, but there is a bigger reality, a bigger picture, that death and desolation doesn't have the final word, but life and God and hope and Jesus Christ by his Spirit. And I, a few days later, I thought of a man named Leighton Ford. Some of you may be familiar with that name. Pastor Ken talks a lot about Leighton Ford. It's his, his, one of his, uh, probably his primary mentor. And Leighton tells the story of losing his son when he was 21 years old and how devastating that was. And shortly after losing his son, um, Leighton found a poem that his son wrote. He said, To Dad for his 50th birthday, what a golden honor it would be to don your mantle, to inherit twice times your spirit. For then you would be me, and I would continue to be you. And when Leighton found that, he wept. He was a prominent public speaker, Leighton. He would speak in stadiums, filled stadiums and auditoriums. And the short view of pain sees only the current reality, only the desolation. But in time, Leighton began to wonder over the months and years of, of grieving his son. And he actually gave up his profession of public speaking and all the notoriety that went that. And he began investing into young leaders, young men and women. And years later, he has 
made a profound influence on dozens and dozens of young men and women, people like Pastor Ken. In the moment, pain is all that we see, but in God's economy, as the Spirit breathes life, we don't know how God is going to renew hope in our lives. God is going to turn a difficult situation into something beautiful. And so, as we conclude, let me invite you to do two things, to pray and to listen. The prayer is this, breathe on me, breath of God. Where is it in your life that you long for the Spirit to come and breathe hope and life? It sounds really simple, but all that we do is invite the Spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit, come into this relationship, into this work problem, into this desolate and dark situation, which I'm tempted to be full of fear and despair. Breathe your life and your hope there, Spirit. And the second thing is to listen. Listen for the rattling of bones. Listen for the wind of God's Spirit that will come and make something new. Listen for the promises of God that said, in the midst of your darkness, I will do something. And listen for the promise, you will live. Let's pray together. So, Spirit of God, in this moment, we acknowledge the valleys, the desolate, the dark, the painful. Friends, just take a moment to to listen to what the Lord might bring to your heart and mind, what situation or relationship And so, Spirit of God, as you did in Ezekiel's day, breathe life. Breathe hope. Fill us with a confidence that you are at work right in the midst of that valley. This week, allow us to to hear, to listen, to the wind of your spirit at work. Bring life, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.